You're going to hand, hand me a throttle and say, I'll see you in two hours, Tom. Okay. <laughs> so I'm getting feedback. That was, that was fun. That was fun. I enjoyed it. Down in the basement, <laughs> pretty much. Or at the bar. Or both. You know, drink your own poison, buddy. I'm not doing this again, so. It's a lot of fun. Want me to ask that again? I mean, I learned that from you, Thomas. You're listening to The Crossing Gate, the official podcast of the Twin Cities Division of the National Model Railroad Association. The topics and discussions are about the world's greatest hobby, model railroading. Here are your hosts, Thomas Gazier and Ken Zeska. This episode of the Crossing Gate Podcast is brought to you by So Now You Decide to Make It. Have you ever been fed up because no manufacturer will make a model of your favorite thing? Not the engines, not the rolling stock, not the paint scheme, and not the structures. They just have no interest in recreating the model you need to make your layout come to life. But you're a model builder. You are creative. You own an X-Acto knife and lots of styrene. You have a great credit rating and can afford those brass models. You finally make, create, kit bash, scratch build, rebuild, paint, decal, add DC, add sound, lights, and all the correct decals. And then the model is announced. Yes, after you collected all the photos, details, and created your own decals, do they announce that model. Of course it will be museum quality. Of course it will have DCC with lights and come in nine versions. Of course it will have a fully detailed interior. And you are just left to stare at your model. All that time, all that effort, all that money, just to have them announce your favorite model. So it doesn't matter that you worked hard to kit bash those Southern Pacific boxcars or that Great Northern Depot. Or spent all the effort tracking down Elko C-415s from Overland Brass. Stop crying, Tom. It'll be okay. You will always be a victim of the age-old modeling effect called, So now you decide to make it. This effect is available in all scales and gauges. Come on, Tom. At least you didn't buy custom paint and decal, add DC and lights to five brass SDL-39s only to have scaled trains announce them in every road name. Oh, wait. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Crossing Gate Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Gazier. And on this podcast, I'm joined by Dan Dosa. Hello, everybody. Heath Hurwitz. Hello there. And Jonathan Jones. Hello, hello. And we are going to have the Small Layout Podcast. We're going to talk about many points about building a smaller layout. And I think one of the things we'll go to is the advantages and Dan, I'll go to you first. What are you know a few of the advantages you see in designing, building, operating, and maintaining a smaller layout? Kind of had the advantage of having a larger layout in the past as well. And I have to confess, it's much nicer operating and running, building and designing a smaller layout. For one thing, it's a lot less expense. It's a lot less time commitment, not only in terms of building it, but also in terms of maintaining it. When I have obsessions, I can run with a crew of two or three 
as opposed to needing a much larger crew to pull together. And I'm able to focus my efforts on really trying to delve into subtleties and nuances of the particular line that I'm modeling. I find that a very satisfying process. All right. And Jonathan, now you're constructing in N scale. What are some advantages you've found in your central of New Jersey layout that you're building? There are a lot of them, but I, I would say that uh, many of them come down to basically more manageable use or more efficient use or expenditure, we can also say, of resources. A, a smaller layout can be done in a shorter amount of time, or you can at least see it to a level of completion in a shorter amount of time. The resources that you need to spend on you know, locomotives and rolling stock can be much less. You know, I've got I don't know, maybe eight locomotives or something like that. And that's that's really that's really all I need. So it kind of helps to put a lid or a cap on things. Of course, we're all model railroaders, and sometimes we buy more rolling stock than no. we need. But, no. <laughs> but you know, it, helps to, it helps to tamp down on things. Uh, some of the, just in general, some of the time and other resources, money, space required are just are just much, much less. And as Dan uh, said, you, you know, you can, you're able to focus a little bit more. You can, you can lavish time on building that structure. You can lavish some extra time on building that scene. You know, you can take some extra time and hand build those turnouts or something like that. And it's not, it's just not a big deal. That's that, those are some of the advantages I would say. I think those are all real good points. Heath, what are you finding as you're building your Riverside transfer also at N scale here? I should note. Yeah. So I, I do want to address one thing first is, my layout is much bigger than I ever expected I would be able to build. So yes, in the grand scheme of things, when you go out there and look at uh, the pictures that you find in magazines and online, my layout is small, but it's actually twice the size of anything that I've previously attempted to build. So while it is a small layout, there's been a lot of planning and a lot of process and a lot of thought that has gone into getting where I'm at right now. And a lot of it's just about taking the space that I do have available and coming up with unique ways to use that space. For me, the building of the layout is, is not so much about, you know, what size is it? Is it small, is it medium, or is it large? But it's about utilizing the space that I have to tell the story that I want to tell. I, Tom's heard me say this before. Uh, I always wanted to... Uh to write the book, everything I learned in life, I learned working on my doctorate instead of in kindergarten. Uh, I was a slow learner. And one of the things that I really believe in model railroading is that having a clear focus and direction is just so important. And it puts you so much further ahead in building a very realistic credible model railroad. We've kind of alluded to the story idea. Well, each of us is writing a book. We're writing it on our layout. We're creating this story. And it's not supposed to be every book. This is not, it's not supposed to be the Library of Congress. And we need the discipline to focus and keep this tight. And I think that small layouts do help us to do that. They don't if you will, allow us the luxury of, 
Oh, I've got a little extra space. Oh, I guess I could throw that thing in there that really doesn't belong. But oh, I like it. I can't afford that space. I, I don't know about you guys. I don't have space that I can just throw away. So every inch of my layout is intended for a very specific purpose. And in the same way, I used to watch people work on their doctorates and trying to write these mammoth dissertations. And I'd say, look, take the project, slice it in half, slice it 500 more times. And that little almost transparent sliver, that's what you do. But you do it and you do it well. I was going to add just one, a couple other things. So, you know, one good thing, one advantage of a small layout is that it doesn't necessarily become an overwhelming project. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of large layouts and they're fantastic. Everybody likes to run on those. But, you know, sometimes I think, at least for me, what it would be like to build something like that. And I'm just, I'm like, I'm just like, no way. That's it just is so, so much in terms of resources and time, managing a crew of people to come in, you know, every Tuesday night or whatever and help you build it. You know, a small layout is um, so not so daunting and you don't end up with the tail wagging the dog, so to speak. And then the other thing I'll say is that sometimes, you know, this is something I found in my career as a designer, as an architect designing things. Sometimes having tighter constraints and tighter limits actually helps you come out with something better. Absolutely. Because it makes you focus and really drill down on the purpose and make the absolute best decisions. You got to think about everything. Good point. And that is a, that can be a very helpful thing. It's We don't always like it. We don't always think about it that way, but that can really help you to design and build a, a better land. Yeah. And it won't delay you as much if you're drilling down on the 40 by 60 barn versus a small office room like Heath. You brought up the tell your story, brought that up. So Jonathan, the interesting thing I find about all your layouts, if they're smaller, you all of you did not go the route, the country, the slow country branch line. And there's some wonderful layouts that do that. We've seen Dan and I've seen Clark Probst, his M and St. L. Tom Johnson's a famous one, his little Indiana country line. So I want to go to you, Jonathan, because you model mm -hmm. a portion of the central New Jersey that actually has a huge impact mm -hmm. on the CNJ and on that area. Do you think that's, you know, rather than this last mile, how do you feel about that? That's a personal choice, I think, um, just in general. And it, it certainly was for me because as, as an architect, I enjoy the built environment. So I like the buildings. I, I like, you know, studying the city by doing this hobby of model railroading that that's of interest to me the other thing about the newark branch is that i can hop on the train and go see these places and i i did that i took a couple of field trips out there I took a field trip out to the library took some photographs pictures did some measurements you know people kind of looked at me funny holding up a you know tape <laughs> measure to some big chunk of concrete but you know it's okay if this if for me to see nj newark branch and i'm modeling now is a personal choice choice that that said I definitely have thought of ideas for doing a small layout in a similar space that is a country thing, like a branch line terminus, which is basically what I'm doing, but more like out in the country, you know, doing something like a, um, you know, Norfolk and Western dry fork branch or something like that. And there's, there's a lot of various, there's a lot of examples of that. And it's there's something like that is quite common across the pond in the UK. So I happen to choose big city railroading this time around, but that doesn't close the door on doing going the other direction and doing yeah. a small way out. Uh, I do think all of you would be 
welcomed in England. You know, the layouts I see at the shows there, they're, they're little <laughs> yeah. modules. You know, yeah. I think a dance layout yeah. would fit right in there. So Heath, you talked about this is actually bigger than your previous layout. So this is like layout number two. And Dan, this is his small layout. What are the major changes you found, Heath, now in designing and building a layout that you want to operate on? So this layout actually took significantly more planning because I knew what I didn't want from my first layout. <laughs> you know, I, I learned so much by laying the, you know, laying the tracks in the yard and trying to operate the trains that I decided I didn't want to do this time around. And like Jonathan said, a lot of what I'm modeling is inspired by what's outside my window. So I can go out there and walk down the river and see these, you know, elements that are influencing things. So as I was planning and thinking about like what to include and what not to include, a lot of it came down to what is going to improve the operations on the layout and what am I adding to the layout just because I want to add it to the layout. And it really helped me pare everything down. I started designing this layout as a kind of a two-level, multi-level layout, and I got it down to a single level by really focusing on operations, uh, having something that you know flows well and that other people might want to come and operate on. It's twice as big, but I think I'm doing... While it's twice as big, it's still telling the same exact story of my previous layout. And I think that was something that was important to me to carry into this layout is keeping that story consistent, but making it more prototypical in the sense of focusing on how trains in the real world might operate. Yeah, I think that's good. You've done your story justice by doing the research. And Dan, you and I talk about this editing a lot. Heath brought up just this, I thought that's an amazing point because I think all of us designing or building a layout have a long list of what we want, you know, the turntable or this or whatever. But I think it's genius that Heath was editing from the front and I'm like, here's what I don't want. So Dan, when you're, you're Minnesota commercial, did you have a list of things that you didn't want? Did, didn't want or did, did not? Want? You know, I wanted to kind of model the meat of the matter, if you will. I wanted to be able to model the switching districts and feature the operation of those and to try and capture little idiosyncrasies of those lines. But I got to say, I was willing to, in order to do that, particularly the space I have, give up a lot of, uh, of other things. I was not going to model the commercial's yard. I wasn't going to model their engine facility. They're really cool. I would love to have that, but that doesn't fit with my priorities on this layout. So I am one of those, I'm literally modeling the last miles of each of the two lines that, I, that I'm doing. Uh, it means giving up certain pet things, but, uh, we have to edit if we're going to tell the story well. And I always think, how many times have, have you ever written something and an editor looks at it and says, you know, I think you should make that longer. 
That never happens. They're always safe. All right, cut that out, cut that out. Get rid of that, shorten that down. You know, if I can, Tom, maybe it's because now I'm the oldest guy in the room here. Thanks. Uh, this too. <laughs> uh, yeah, no problem. You know, two things that I, I thought about in designing my current layout. First, my old Uber layout. When I tore it out, I was glad to do it. It had out. I didn't want to keep going with that layout. It wasn't the right layout. And so it wouldn't have, I, I'm not sure that I could design a, a large layout that I would still want to be operating or building 20 years later. I, I, don't, I don't think I could do it. The other is that even at this point, I am hearing the dreaded words from my wife about, well, what about when we downsize? Tom and I have talked about this. I've, I've seen some people that have wonderful large layouts, but I look at those and I think that's onerous to start thinking about how are you going to ever dismantle this and get, you know, get it broken down unless you do it the way I did, which was let it meet a sawzall. Yeah. Well, I think we all are reaching the point where we have to think about that. That's why I thought he's doing this modular thing is great. I know Jonathan's at the stage too, where he can build it modular and take it to the next residence. If that happens, you know, you said you're modeling the meat of the matter. And then we talked about editing and I know Heath, I'm going to go to you because you really enjoyed the aspect of circus trains in reality. And you wanted to grow on this and you've done interviews with people, but on this layout, you had to cut that out. So what was that like? Yeah. What I eventually decided was that the circus modeling at this point in my life was going to become something that I did as a collection. So a little bit of a side hobby to the hobby of model railroading. So I still have my collection of circus trains. I still plan on keeping them. My long-term dream is at some point to build a circus scene. But when I really started getting into what I wanted out of model railroading, the operational aspect and the remote dispatching that people are adding to their layouts now and some of the technology elements of it were more important to me than having a 100-foot mainline where I could run a long circus train. The circus trains just don't really fit in this room. I just don't have the space to really run and operate them. So I, I made the choice to not include a town with a circus. Um, this layout is, as was discussed, modular in a sense that each of the corners have very simplistic track work in it. And my idea is, while it's not a module like a T-track module is and not as simple as that is to disconnect, at each of the corners, I can kind of solves all it and still have elements that I could take and apply to another layout. So this room, the room that I'm currently in, I'm only leasing the room. So I know I have the space for about three years, but at some point I might not have this room anymore. 
So making it modular, making something that I can take with me was a very important element. You know, I, I operated on an iron ore mining layout here in town. That was also an end scale and <laughs> not mine. Also not modular, not, not Tom's, oh, okay. but I, I was asking the layout owner about it. And he said, honestly, I moved so many times and I got tired of tearing stuff apart. So I started building it modular. I think it's brilliant. I think it's genius to do that. You know, you guys, you know, you're young men, you'll be moving. And as you do, it sure is pretty cool when you can, the stuff I've really worked on so hard and put so much time into, I can just box that up and bring it along and I'll figure out a way to reconnect them and build those little connecting pieces either the same way or in a different shape and bring it all, uh, bring it yeah, all home. All your hard work of like, like Jonathan was saying, your hand built switches or all your switch motors and stuff don't have to end up in the, the big blue tub outside that says, uh, you know, refuge on it. <laughs> yes. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about scenery on a smaller layout. And all of you model in urban setting. Your canyons are actually the trains going between grain elevators on Dan's and between larger buildings on Heath and Jonathan. So Jonathan, tell us how you take your architectural eye and add depth to your scenes and also vertical depths because yours without a, like there's no river, but you have the freeway on running underneath and Heath has a subway. We'll right. get to his too, but Jonathan, how do you look at that? Right. So, so I have a couple of general concepts. So, and this, this came out of studying cities and my background as an architect in the previous layout that I built years ago, which was an HO, which was also a freelance switching layout, urban. And, you know, there's, if, in, in urban scenery, I, I, I like to say there's basically three components. There's the railroad itself, and that usually makes a fairly straight line through the city, and it's very distinctive. It's usually set off by some type of architecture or engineering, like it's either elevated or it's in a cut, or you can generally see it. You know, if you go up in a plane, you can clearly see the line. So that's number one. Railroad is a line. Number two is the grid of the streets. And what goes along with the grid of the streets are the buildings which fit inside that grid. Right. So now you have this second system of this street grid and the street grid is not always regular. It can be, you know, at different orientations and collide. And and that's where you start to get the cool stuff when these, when these simple systems overlap. Like that's where things really start to happen. And then the third component, I'll say, is natural features, because both the railroad and the city are overlaid on top of Mother Nature. Mother Nature is not smooth and flat. So that's where even in the city you can get undulations, you get other natural features like rivers or bluffs. We all we're all familiar with cities that have that, you know, like Pittsburgh, some you know, think places like that. And so when you when you take those three components, those three systems, and you overlap them on top of one another, where they collide and cross, that's where you get the cool stuff. Like the bridges going over a river in the middle of a city or a viaduct in the middle of a city, or triangular-shaped bi-level commuter station, which is something that I have on the CNJ. There was a station that was like that because the street was below because of the topography and the railroad built up, elevated itself, so the railroad was two stories up. 
and the, it went at a funny angle. So now the, the shape of the building is a triangle and you got to go up the stairs to get to the platform. So that's one, one thing I'll say about that. And in terms of creating depth, one thing I like to do is, you know, I have some, I try to have a range of size of buildings. I have the big ones and the train goes, you know, in front of them and you can see it, see that as the train goes by. But then I like to also have medium and smaller ones that are kind of sprinkled around, some of which are in front of the train. So the train is passing in front of some things, behind some things, and that creates a, a sense of depth and makes watching the train traverse the landscape a little more interesting because it's not just in view all the time. It's being like your experience of it is being broken up and altered by these, you know, sort of interruptions as it traverses the layout. So those, those are two things that I, I like to uh, think about in terms of urban scenery. So Heath, you're also planning your layout with some sort of CAD system. I'll let you explain that. And in that design, even though you're modeling portion of Manhattan, there's still some scenery. What did you design into your layout other than tall buildings? Yeah, so I'm using AnyRail 6 to design my track plan. And I did spend a lot of time in AnyRail 6 forcing it into creating a workable 3D version of the layout. And I did that as it would then allow me to solve some problems in the computer before I started on my bench work. Now that I've done my bench work, I've printed out my layout on paper and laid it on top of my bench work. And once again, I am starting to solve problems and look at where I can put different elements before I've even laid my first piece of track. I have designed in some scenery. I've designed in some view blocks to hide some staging. I've designed in some areas where I want to uh, add a bridge and a car float. But I feel like to some extent I'm cheating in my urban design, let's say. One of the hardest elements of urban design is all the buildings. And building that amount of structures to illustrate an urban environment can take a significant amount of time. I live right along the river. And the trains run right down the Hudson River. So I am actually modeling the trains as they run down the Hudson with the city in the background. So a lot of my city scenes are actually going to end up being background flats and or even just a, a photographic background. And then I will only need to have minimal structures and elements in the foreground to give hints of the train running through the urban scenes, not just in front of them. So you're, you and your operators are standing in the Hudson River, right? You know, kind of like, Correct. like mine are standing in Lake Superior. Okay, cool. I get that. That's cool. Yeah, all of my operators are required to bring their own life vests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they will be standing, standing in the water, uh, running their trains as they, you know, used to run in New York City along the uh, west side. Along the west side. What structures are you going to put in the foreground? I'm kind of interested in that, but between the rails and the operators, what are you thinking? There's one area of the layout specifically where there are buildings built along the side of bridges. And I'm going to build those small, they were small, narrow buildings to fit with, between various bridges where the freight cars would pull up 
and drop off uh, different commodities. So a lot of my buildings are going to be long and narrow to fit within tracks as well as then in front of tracks. There's one area where I'm going to have a freight terminal where the freight terminal will essentially extend into the space the operators stand, you know, to be coming off the edge of the layout. So it'll only really hint at that structure, but it will provide a little bit of an obstacle, a little bit of a, a view block for the trains that are running behind it. No, I, I like that. I like that. And now, Dan, your urban scenery, I'll let you talk. Talk about the Ohio or the Hennepin line first, the Hennepin line. And you and I both been to Minneapolis. All three of you are lucky because you get to go see your lines or what's left of it. I mean, so the largest building, the prototype building in that area is the cream of wheat structure. And Dan, why don't you tell everyone how you modeled that? You came to modeling that. Oh, that was an interesting process. Cream of wheat is an iconic structure. Maybe if I had Jonathan's modeling talents and architectural background, I could have done something credible. But believe you me, that was way above my skill level. The flip side is, Cream of Wheat is a really cool structure. It was one of the more interesting features of that line. Here's my dilemma. What do I do? So I looked at trying to kit bash a background structure. And when I got done looking at my efforts there, I decided that it looked like a kit bashed Wather's structure. Nothing like Cream of Wheat. What I ended up doing was tracking down a photograph online and the photographer I was able to find also a nice gentleman who very generously sent me a digital copy of the photo. I was able to use this photo to create a photo backdrop of cream of wheat on the layout. Now, really, for my purposes, it was enough to have a string of cars brought up to be unloaded. That's as far as I can go with it. But it captures the illusion and nothing looks like the real thing. I have a little trick I do where I'll take background structures that I'm doing like that and I will layer different aspects of a photograph, one on top of another, to create an illusion of depth. And I find that works well. And so that's what I did for Cream of Wheat. And I'm really very, very pleased with how it came out. And I don't think I could have done it any better than that. Yeah, that was interesting that we could put the largest structure on a photo. You know, you've modeled all prototype things. Your largest built structures, though, are these grain elevators on the Hiawatha lines. And it's almost, you have one that's in the foreground and one in the background. How do your operators feel about that? And you've made a little nook at the end of your layout, so you don't have to look over elevator T or Shire Malty and you can see down the entire layout. Has that helped? People love it. The Hiawatha line is really was a long stretch of track that was sandwiched between multiple grain elevators. And to really capture the essence of that, I needed that foreground structure. Originally, I wasn't going to put it in. I was just going to, I thought, oh, I'll model a shed. Then I got to thinking, if I narrow that down, I could, I could put that elevator in there. The nook you mentioned, I didn't put that in for any particularly clever reason, except for the fact that I need that 
in order to be able to open the closet <laughs> that room well, necessity right uh, it just had to, it it had to be there but then i realized as i was doing that it was a great spot to operate because now you're actually looking down the tracks operating between these grain elevators rather than looking uh, as as we typically do from the side and people have kind of enjoyed that so let's switch it over and let's talk about operations because people think oh it's a this size layout you can't have much op i've seen what heath has planned and i've looked at yours you know i've operated yours dan for hours and it's so entertaining so jonathan i'll go to you and operations you got 1955 you got these city industries and you and mm-hmm. i had a little chat about deep dive you've got the ubiquitous freight house that was there you and heath also were that but you talked about other right. things and even like a brewery Correct. So my layout has, um, it's, it's mostly an urban switching layout. So there are these, a mix of big and small industries on the layout. They use different car types, coal hoppers. There's a, there's a team track, which can, you know, take anything, flat cars, gondolas, you know, reefers full of tomatoes, flowers. So, so I have, I have plenty of that. And part of, you know, part of generating variety there is to have a mix of industries, to have some industries that can, take um, multiple types of cars, but also be maybe a little creative about what your loads are and how you handle them. For example, you might have a team track and I have one train that's a switcher. Its only job is to uh, leave Burroughs Junction and run up to Newark to the yard there as a cab hop and switch those industries in that in that little area. And one thing you can do is instead of just, okay, switching the cars, you can say, oh, well, here's two refrigerator cars. They need to go to the team track, but those are they're, they've got flowers in them. So those are those are you could call those hot cars. So those got to go there first. Like if you come in the morning, they got to go in first. So there are things you can do to add some interest to to How basic would you switching. How do that nuance? Do you use car cards? Would you have a different thing in the car cards, or is that on the switch list? Yeah, so you can do it with car cards, which 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 I, I don't use. Um, I use a switch list. You can do it with car cards and you kind of make that gesture like you kind of you can slip something in. You can have a piece of paper that's like red or pink or something like that that says hot car. So that tells the operator that, oh, I got all these cars in the yard. These got to go first. So that's one way to do it. I use a switch list um, because I've also discovered that if you don't have a location card, that usually means you don't really need to worry about routing. So on a, on a layout like mine, I'm basically, if I'm, I'm either putting a car into place in its final place, or I'm taking it and it's going off the layout. So I don't really have, there's, not, there's no routing. A switch list works pretty well. And in order to do what I was talking about before, like with the refrigerator cars with the flowers, I can just make a note on the switch list, um, which I've seen before on prototype switch list. They just kind of make a note, oh, hot car, hot car, hot car, something like that. Or, you know, you can have different spots. This goes to spot two, this goes to spot six or something like that. You just write it on as a column on the switch list. You just write it in there and it works pretty well. One thing I'll add is that my particular layout has other types of traffic on it. There are commuter trains that leave and go in and out. They, on the CNJ, they were interesting because they would actually back in from three or four or six miles away from either Jersey City or Brills Junction. And then they would leave if they were coming from a different place, they would come in head first. Then you got to cut the power off. There's a locomotive escape, a crossover. You got to pull it out, 
push the cars back in, put the locomotive back in on the other side, and then then run out. And sometimes what I'll do is I, I've had a little mini operating session for myself just doing that. So what you're saying is with these smaller layouts, you can still run passenger and operate. Correct. Like Absolutely. He does a Absolutely. seven passenger. Dan, you need a dinner trainer. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's really cool. I like the deep dive and I'll, I'll go to Dan next. And Dan's layout, his operations, narrowing it down, I call the three F's, which is basically faxes, formants, and fences. If you want to explain that, Dan, and then we'll we'll talk about routing. I want okay. to come back to yeah. Jonathan's comment on uh, routing. One of the things I we're able to do, and Jonathan really commented to this, we can dive deep as we look at modeling operations on a small layout. Actually, it's something we can we can really focus on, and it brings really a unique aspect to our layouts, to our operating sessions. So I have, for example, on the Hiawatha line, they have this ratty old yard office down there, and they have a fax machine, and they get updated information sent to the fax machine after the train has cleared the station uh, or cleared the yard. And so the first thing the crew has to do is go check the fax. And I'll have left some information inside a little lockbox for them to find that out. On the Hennepin line, we have a really interesting industry at the very end of the line. It's a switchback. The switchback is only long enough for one engine and one car on the prototype. The industry can handle about six, seven cars. It's about, what would you say, Tom? About a half mile from the runaround. It's about three street crossings they have to navigate to get there. The crew comes out and this is a real production for them to switch. But when they get there, they also have to get the foreman to unlock the gate so they can get access. And as one of the uh, uh, one of my friends who's an engineer on the line said, and what we've been ordered to do isn't always what they want us to do. And because this is a little industrial railroad, they do what the customers want. So they may be shunting some cars around. They may be picking up a different car. They may be don't have room to leave a car they intended to leave. All sorts of things can be added in to mix things up a little. And most of my operators really enjoy that. I don't know that you could do that easily with a really, really large layout. But on a smaller layout, you can really have those aspects of operation just brought to the forefront. And so when you were talking about your your industries, Jonathan, I was thinking, yeah, you can dive deep into what was happening on that line, how the crews had to handle those trains, how they handled the hot cars and things, all of that stuff which I think is just really a very interesting aspect of operations. It's not about running 40 trains. It's about running one or two trains, but running them correctly. I like the eras because Jonathan has, like he said, they write a note. So he's in the era of clerks and he would have that note on a switch. Exactly. And Dan's yes. in the era of fax machines <laughs> in this depot. And he's in the era of his cruises radioing. I'm like, Hey, you idiot, get to the scrapyard. You know, so it's kind of fun and <laughs> the different takes, but that's a deep dive. Now, Heath, your operations, yeah. you've had a chance to go to these operation weekends out east, and you've seen and worked 
with car card switch lists or, hey, buddy, I'm moving my train. Any preference for you? What are you deciding on? I feel like I have learned more about model railroading going to other people's layouts and operating on them than I have doing the research, oh, yeah. you know, in my own little yes. world. Yes. Uh, stands in Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I do find myself drawn to car cards and waybills over switch lists. I like the almost the playing card aspect of car card and waybills and the way, you know, a train comes in and you kind of flip through the car cards as opposed to having that, you know, eight and a half or five by seven piece of paper switch lists. So my plan for my layout is definitely to go in the car card and waybill direction. I spent a lot of time on my layout trying to figure out the length of my trains because I thought that in order to have things flow well and have a good operation scheme, having things balance out by train length was going to be very important because I didn't have a lot of space to just shove an extra cut of cars if I needed to get them out of the way. So if something's in the way on my layout, it's in the way. So I decided on eight 40 foot cars to be my standard train length, which is about 30 inches long in end scale. You add two locomotives to that and you've got about a 42 inch long train. So each section of my layout is built in 42 inch sections. And the way I'm planning my layout is to operate, you know, within 42 inch sections. So I'll send a train from one 42 inch section of the layout to another 42 inch section of the layout. And I'm sure it's going to change about 600 times once I get into the operations and everybody starts <laughs> telling me what I'm doing wrong. Yes, yes. But I think that's that's a good place for me to start. And like Jonathan was saying, you know, it's not about running a lot of trains. It's about keeping it simple, running a couple of trains uh, really well and, and starting from that simplified place. Well, Tom will guarantee you that... Uh... Inviting me over for operating sessions <laughs> will be the best way to completely destroy your operating system. Yeah. When I start saying, hey, well, why do you do that? Wait, <laughs> wait a minute. Wouldn't this work better? Yeah. I think we all know our own layouts best. And then visitors come and you're like, well, that's interesting. I've never seen it done that way. So, <laughs> but this, yeah, I think it's great to let it evolve. It doesn't have to all be wrapped up with a bow. Mm-hmm. You are going to modify things in your operating scheme. And that's gonna be a function of what you learn about the line you're trying to model. And also what you learn about the operating sessions and your operators, let it flow. Yeah, I think we we found here in the Twin Cities and Heath and Jonathan will agree that on these smaller layouts, we get to run our own layout. Cause Dan and I have been to layouts and like we've taken jobs and things don't work. And we've asked the layout owner like, have you ever run this job yourself? He's like, no, I only let visitors do that. And we're like, no, you, you have to run it because it's not working. No one ever gets it done. You're always in the way. You're like, yeah. Drink your own yeah. poison, buddy. I'm not doing this again. So yeah, yeah. I think that's another advantage, a small layout. So we'll wrap this up. And I just want to mention that, you know, we talked about small, when you're building a small layout, you still have the same trepidations of building the basement filler because you want to get it right even though it's less cost, less track, like you do want to get it right. And Heath had a wonderful show on that 
order you win things. I'll go to you, Jonathan. What do you have for final points and things you've learned with your layout as you've grown with it through the moves and stuff? I've learned a lot. So first of all, I would say, you know, don't be afraid to start. You have to start. You have to build something. You have to find a way to, to build the skill. So start something, even if it's a module or something. I would also say see a lot of layouts and, and operate on them if you can, because otherwise you don't really know what you like or don't like, or you don't really have a sense of what works and doesn't. Like you might design, without going to another layout, you might design your layout height at you know, X, whatever, and you think it's fine. If you had gone to a bunch of layouts and you had seen, oh, this was a little lower, this one, that one, those over there were just right, then you know. Going to see other layouts and operate on them is a big part of enabling yourself to get things right. And then the last thing I would say is if you're starting a design, if you're thinking about doing a layout, take some time, again, visiting layouts and whatever to try to really drill down on what you want to do and get a, get a concept before jumping in and, you know, building bench work and that, that sort of thing. That's, that's not to say to have, you know, an analysis paralysis, but just take some time and try to write down, you know, what's important to you. What do you want to achieve? With I the like layout? that. I like that. Heath, what do you think? Along the same lines as, you know, don't get stuck and not start. I would also say, don't be afraid to start over if you need to. When I started creating Riverside Transfer version one, I thought I knew what I wanted. I thought I knew what would work. I had certain elements that I had this grandiose idea of what they should look like. And I got to a point and realized it just wasn't working and it never would work. And no matter how much work I put into the layout or move the track around, things just weren't going to work out. So I ended up starting over and I couldn't be happier with what I have now at this point. Now, am I going to find out in a couple of months that I want to change it again? Maybe. We'll see. Yeah, if you're going down the wrong path, model railroading is a great hobby because you can always just take a chainsaw to the layout and, <laughs> uh, and start over. I like that. The wrong path. I'm with you on that, Heath. All right. Dan, any final notes from you? Both of these guys have said some really important stuff. So please, to our audience, please take note. These, these are a couple of bright guys, and they, uh, they're saying some very wise things. I like the idea of keeping an open mind. I'll add one thing on that, which is as you're thinking about planning, designing, or building your model railroad, don't be trapped in the mindset of A, bigger is automatically going to be better, and everybody should want a bigger layout. But second also is to build a layout that has a concept, that has a story, something that integrates it together. None of our layouts here, from everybody in, on this chat, none of them are just hodgepodges. We're building layouts that are representing sections of a transportation system. I think that's a really good way to keep a focus. Keep focused and don't be afraid to start. I agree. You guys all made good points. To wrap it up. I like be true to your story. I think small layouts help you stay focused on that story 
bigger is not always better. I always, the large layouts I operate on, I actually look at them as a series of smaller layouts. And those are the jobs I take. We, we just had a discussion with Eric Smith, the head of the OPSIG. He likes to take the job where the train traverses, you know, the whole house. Myself, I want to take the job that's in just small town over there and it just switches cars and drops road trains, you know, set out and drop off. I have my own layout. And to go along with the bigger's not better, my friend Ray or not runs the Around the Layout podcast, and I recommend everyone listen to that. One of his fake sponsors he had was this book called Design It, Build It, and Burn It. <laughs> and Dan and I talk about this, so I'm gonna write the sequel to that is, is that after you burn it, you're going to make it again, but make it larger because that'll make it better, right? You know, just <laughs> that it has to. It has, it has to. to. So, <laughs> and uh, I want to make the one point Jonathan brought up about the routing. Dan was giving this clinic on his Minnesota commercial car cards when we moved him. And a guy in the audience put up his hand and Dan's main yard is the staging yard. It's, it's replicated by hidden staging. And the Dan, the guy asked you, and I'll let you answer, he goes, well, where do they go after they get back to the yard? I said, I don't care. That's somebody <laughs> else's the layout, job. Huh? Exactly. So they were all like, what do you mean? Exactly. <laughs> they're, they're, I'm the crew on that switcher, and I pull the car, or I put it in the you know, ABC warehouse. Yeah. I'm, I'm done. If I take it back to the yard, I'm, I'm done. It's not my issue. Exactly. So, exactly. Small exactly. So we'll go around. You guys have a great great social media presence and Jonathan you've yes. just been published very well my friend so why don't you mention where mm-hmm. our listeners can find the central of New Jersey uh, branch in Brooklyn sure um, so you can find my railroad I, I do have a Facebook page and I have a, a group for the for the layout which is the CNJ Newark branch in Brooklyn and you can go there and uh, I've got some photos in the file section and track plans and things and you can look at uh, what's been going on on the layout. Tom, you did mention that, yes, I did just have the, the layout published. It was in Model Railroad Planning 2023. I have a, an interesting approach to doing structures and setting hierarchy um, and backdrops that uh, that people might be interested in seeing. So that's where you can find me. That'd be cool. We'll all get that issue. Heath, where can we find you? I have a YouTube channel called Humanity Junction, spelled Human City Junction. I do a live stream every Tuesday night at eight o'clock. And I also have a Facebook page. You can either find it under Humanity Junction or by my layout name, Riverside Transfer. I think that's great. Why don't you tell everyone I always like the story of how you came up with the Humanity Junction, you know, living in New York. It is a great way. I was working for an architectural lighting design firm, and New York City was having a contest where they invited people to give ideas. I always forget. I haven't told the story in so long. (laughs) Make stuff up. New New York City was holding a contest to revitalize one of the areas of New York City. And some friends of mine and I got together and came up with this idea of kiosks that would tell you the sights and scenes of the area, but the kiosks were shaped like human beings. And we were exploring the idea of the relationship between humans and the city and the idea of like digital and analog And we decided to kind of name our project Human City. And that's, you know, the project didn't end up going anywhere. 
I don't believe the city actually ever did the revitalization project, but the name stuck with me all those years. So when I started the YouTube channel, I decided to acquire the name as my YouTube identity. Very cool. That's cool. That's cool. And Dan, where can we find you? Down in the basement, <laughs> pretty much. That's very cool. Or at the bar. At the or bar. Both. At the bar. <laughs> Over at Moe's. <laughs> <laughs> Over at Moe's Gentleman's Club there. But you can see some of Dan's on Facebook. Dan's prolific poster in the Twin Cities Division Facebook group. I'm telling you people, join the NMRA. It's very social. Model road people, especially operators, are very social. It's a social aspect of the hobby. And now I do expect Dan and Heath to be in model road planning 2024. <laughs> I think we, I think we got it. I fear we have a tough act to follow. All right. Yes. Uh, I, I will do photographs, but I think both of you are on the great path. Dan's layout is it cracks people up because it's two levels, but the levels don't connect, and it's just genius use of space. All right, people, thanks for listening. Like I said, join the NMRA. Check everybody out on YouTube and Facebook. Pick up that model road planning issue. Jonathan says uh, autographs are 20 bucks. <laughs> I'm knocking my price down for my RMC article. There, so. He charged me 25. <laughs> 25, yeah. All right, everyone. All right, guys, say good night and thanks, everyone, for listening. So good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good night. You've been listening to The Crossing Game, the official podcast of the Twin Cities Division. You can find us on Facebook in our group, the Twin Cities Division of the NMRA. You can email us at tcdnmra at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to subscribe for future podcasts. So now from this conversation, I'm looking around my layout, thinking of all the changes I need to make.